This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to The Sportacast. All right, a little change, and you're listening. Did you hesitate for a moment there? Were you like, was there a thought process as to what what am I going to say? Because again, I get I have you on video here on this little hookup that we have, and it looked like you were smiling, and there was a bit of a hesitant hesitancy there. I wished in that moment that I spoke Japanese, but <laughs> yes. I don't. Yes, uh, because we're going to start this podcast, Scott, with uh, with some big news in golf. The Masters finished up over the weekend. Uh, and a pretty massive, uh, a milestone win, if you will, for the country of Japan and, and for the golf world. Yeah, I mean, Hideki Matsuyama winning uh, the Masters, first Asian golfer to win the major. Uh, and I thought it was very interesting, by the way, that afterwards he was asked about the athletes that had inspired him. And I really was expecting some golfer, right? <laughs> and he just listed some of the the Japanese baseball players. So I, I thought it was... Very interesting. How about his caddy, by the way? If there was a defining moment of the Masters, and it's not easy for a caddy to be the defining moment of a golf tournament, but when he put the pin back in at 18, took his cap off, and bowed to the course, I was thought about it because I saw the still photo before I saw the video, and I thought that perhaps he he gave like an exaggerated bow and paused. But when I saw the video... I realized, no, he didn't. It was just a quick little, you know, bow of the head and kudos to the photographer because they always say you got, you know, you have a millisecond, you either get it or you don't. And at least the, the one shot that I saw, kudos to that photographer. I have no idea who it was, but you got it. And it was a great shot. It's going to be one of the defining photos of the year, at least in the sports world, in my opinion. For sure. And this is going to be a tremendously lucrative win. Anytime any golfer wins the Masters, it is it is tremendously lucrative for their career. I would argue that this is that on hyperdrive, Scott, just because, as you said, he's the first Japanese golfer to win a men's major. Uh, Japan is a golf crazy country. There's a huge sponsorship market uh, in Japan. And there's a lot of national pride, particularly around their their sports stars. We've seen it, you know, with 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 Ishiro Suzuki, we see it with Shohei Otani, a lot of the baseball stars you're talking about. Naomi Osaka, another great example, women's tennis player who competes as a as a as a Japanese national. There is a lot of things working in Hideki Matsuyama's favor from a financial standpoint in in the aftermath of this tournament win. 
Yeah, let's just look at some of the tennis players. Lena also got a lot of sponsorship. And how about this <laughs> one? This is the one that really hit home for me. And I didn't know. Kudos to Kurt Badenhausen who, who threw this out there. But Kei Nishikori never really reached the top five, I don't think, in men's tennis. $30 million a year in sponsorship. Once again, I will repeat. Kei Nishikori never reached the top five in the men's tour. $30 million a year in sponsorship. And Eben, you know what I do. You know, I'm watching this thing unfold. He's got a five-shot lead. We're getting toward the end. I do what I do. I, I shoot a couple of emails off. One always to Bob Dorfman, our friend at Baker Street Advertising. He gets right back. He's probably having, knowing him, a, a nice cocktail and a, uh, you know, watching the Masters and something nice to eat. Um, but he shoots back that this could be worth, let's put a number on it. You know, we always ask for numbers. We want to know what could this be worth. And Andy North, by the way, I don't know if you saw that. Andy North, the golf analyst, said a billion dollars. I heard and that. I was like, well, maybe Andy's been in the sun for a while. Like, you know, I was like, that can't be right. So I messaged Bob Dorfman and he comes back with, this could be worth $600 million. So maybe Andy isn't that far off if things go, you know, a little more right. Uh, but $600 million, and he attributes that to the longevity of a golfer's lifetime. You know, Matsuyama is only 29 years old, so he's going to play for another, what, 20 plus years, then there's senior tour. So if, if, you, if you aggregate all that up and you're looking at about $20 million a year, which if we're going off Kei Nishikori, $30 million, now this guy's a national hero. You're going into the Olympics. There's talk now, whatever the plan was, like, is he going to light the Olympic flame? Um, $600 million. And that's before we have even mentioned a one-on-one NFT. Yeah, it's it's an incomprehensible number, Scott. I'm glad you mentioned Li Na, the the Chinese tennis player who I believe she won the French Open uh, a number of years ago. It's a good example of a of a of an international star who may not be a huge name in the U.S. You know, in the tennis community, in the same way that Hideki is probably not a huge name in the U.S. golf community. But when golfers or tennis players, when they win the biggest tournaments on the stage in their home countries, they can become massive, massive stars. And, and tennis, golf more so, you're talking about the longevity of a career. You know, it, it works out well for tennis players as well. But you're right, the, the longevity, the, the amount of time that Hideki could remain a professional golfer as, as a 29-year-old right now really extends. One other thing you mentioned there, Scott, that is worth doubling down on the timing comes right before the Olympics. Golf is now an Olympic sport. I would imagine Hideki, he probably would have been already, but will be one of the premium faces of the Japanese Olympic team uh, in a few months when the Tokyo Games kick off. Yeah, and if you were watching him come up any of the fairways, you saw logos for Lexus, Rickson, Nomura. Uh, they got in at the right time. You know, that's, you know, the buy low. They certainly bought low. And I, I did not know this, by the way. And I did know that golf was very popular in Japan. But as Kurt pointed out in his piece, which I did not know, the U.S. is the only country. This. Oh, yeah, with more golf courses than Japan. And you want to finish and, it up? And, yeah, and, yeah, and over half of the courses in Japan or in Asia are in Japan. That's what that's I was going to finish up That's a wild statistic. Yeah, more than half the courses are in Asia. So if you need a show, don't tell on how popular golf in, is in Japan, uh, there you go. And um, yeah, just a tremendous story. I'm, I'm really interested to see how companies utilize him, which companies jump in, uh, how he goes about it. Because like we said, things are totally different. When you were talking about Lee Na and Nishikori, Tiger Woods, there's no such thing as, as blockchain and NFT. And you can put the personal uh, you know, experiences with it. Who knows? I mean, 
Could 600 million be low? Could Bob Dorfman be low on this? Uh, maybe, maybe Andy North was right. One of the wild things about this conversation that's making me think about a chart that Lev Akabas, our, our data viz uh, journalist, did a, a few weeks ago, charting the highest grossing athletes on a function of their on-course or their salary winnings versus their endorsement winnings. And you see golf skews so far towards athletes make the bulk of their money from endorsements. He's 29 years old, Hideki Matsuyama. He's made $33 million in his career total, Scott. And now we're saying this win is another 20 million in endorsement for the next 30 years. Uh, On top of that, just another, another way easy opportunity to highlight that sports are built differently. A lot of baseball players, a lot of NFL players make the vast majority of their money just from the contract, the check they get from their team. That's not true in another, in a lot of other sports and tennis and golf are on the way other end of that spectrum. Yeah. It occurs to me that during our, our run here during the Sportacast, and I'm not sure how long we've been doing it. I don't think that I had brought one thing over from our previous podcast at Bloomberg And that's sort of informing the listeners, and if we have some new ones, great, that your claim to fame was being a member of the lightweight football team at Princeton, right? (laughs) And and I'm not really sure what the endorsement... You guys, if I have this wrong, please correct me quickly, Evan, but I do not think I do. Your win total in all of your years on the lightweight football team at Princeton was zero. Zero. Yeah, the, the team went 20 years without winning a game. So not just you. It's a fine yeah, not tradition. Not just me. Yes, there are there. Are, there's almost generations of of players who played on the team. <laughs> Lightweight ineptitude. I love it. Can we go from Japan to Mexico, please? Because you and I teamed up Por on favor. a story. Thank, oh, muy bien. You and I uh, teamed up on a, on a breaking news story, and I think this is going to have legs because for the first time, United States American investors have put real money towards a Liga MX club. You want to explain why we think this is fascinating and what we think it'll lead to? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll lay out the news first. Al Tylus and Sam Porter, uh, Al is an investor in DC United, Sam Porter is an executive at DC United. They're leading a group that is buying about 50% of the Mexican team club, Nacaxa. Uh, we don't have the exact financials, but we think the, the val- we know the valuation in the deal values the team in total around you know low nine figures. Uh, and this is, as you said, it's the first major U.S. investment into Mexican soccer. It might surprise some listeners out there that, that Mexican soccer is the most, pop, most watched and most popular uh, soccer league in the U.S. right now. The, the, the Univision ratings for, for Liga MX uh, vastly dwarf. They're actually more. And right now they're screaming. Now, Eben, I'm telling you, right now people are screaming and they're running to their internet to shoot you a message. No, no, no. What about the EPL? There's no way that can't <laughs> be right. Let me go look at the numbers so I can tell Eben Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams on Twitter that he's wrong, but tell them they're wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. The, if you add up the English language viewership <laughs> of, of both Major League Soccer and the English Premier League in the U.S., they do not reach the Spanish language audience in the U.S. for Liga MX games. That's how popular Liga MX is right now. And I, and I would believe that for, for Al and Sam and the folks who are investing in this group, Scott, that's the that's really it's it's about Mexico obviously because Liga MX as Dan Cohen told us is the NFL of Mexico but it is also about the tremendous commercial opportunity that Liga MX has here in the US. Yeah, I love how you just say as Dan Cohen told us. You and I, yes, we know Dan Cohen, but like our listeners might not know that he runs media rights over at Octagon. So he analyzes these things. That's some guy we know Dan just tells us. <laughs> 
But Fair. yeah, I mean, he called it the NFL of Mexico to tell you how popular it is. But here's some numbers. I'm going to play the role of Novi Williams right now because I thought, you know, I thought I teed you up for some numbers. But since I wrote them down, I will do it. This is usually what you do. Liga MX averages 845,000 viewers on Univision. The EPL, 475,000 on NBCSN and NBC sometimes. MLS, English language only, the last we have, 2019. Fox and ESPN, 355,000. So like you said, add the 475 to the 355. You don't quite get the 845 of MX. And by the way, there has been discussion that perhaps... Liga MX and MLS should come together, have a have a big league with popular teams. So uh, why don't you explain a little bit more what's going on behind the scenes? We heard from Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, that this is a real possibility. Obviously, any sort of unification would propel the valuation of these franchises. Yeah, these are talks, Scott, that have been going on for a while now. People who are fans of either league will notice that there's more cooperation now than there ever has been. There's league cups, for example, that 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 player that that teams in both leagues are participating in. The MLS All Star Game is now a game played between All Stars of of MLS and and Liga MX players. Uh, this is all kind of happening in the run up to the 2026 World Cup, which will be held in Canada, the United States, and Mexico. So a lot of momentum there. Uh, uh, one of the interesting things about the idea of this merger, if it does happen, and again, these talks have been happening for a while, it seems unlikely that a merger will create one Super League that has all of the MLS teams and all of the Liga MX teams. So I would imagine one of the challenges and one of the things kind of forefront for for all Liga MX owners that don't own the two big ones, your Chivas or your Club America, I think one of the challenges here for them is make sure that if there is a merger, you are part of the group of Liga MX teams that ends up in the top tier in, in that top league. Because yeah, let the lobbying as, begin. Exactly. Because the financial differences between being in the premier North American soccer league and whatever it is below that obviously are, are pretty wide. We should also mention Scott, kind of the unique way that the Liga MX does its commercial rights. We mentioned that those Univision uh, ratings. That's not because Univision has a league-wide deal with Liga MX the way that Fox has a league-wide deal with Major League Baseball or CBS has a deal with, with, with the NFL. All of those deals are done team by team. Liga MX lets every team sell its own commercial rights, whether that is live TV rights, whether that is merchandising, whether that is sponsorships, etc. And that means that for cl clubs like Chivas or Club Americas, uh, it works out really well for them. They get to sell their tremendous popularity. It makes things a little bit harder for Nicaxa, a team that plays in Aguas Calientes, which is a city of less than a million people, which is fairly small by Mexican standards. That's going to be another one of the challenges for this ownership group is in a world where Nicaxa has to sell itself and not be part of a much bigger Liga MX sale. How do you maximize that in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. And we should mention, by the way, Liga MX for a while did away now with relegation. So you don't mm. have to worry about being bumped out of out of the league. That that was a COVID-related thing. Um, let's talk about the demographics of the United States. Also, why this seems to work. That right now, where there are 40 million Mexican-Americans living in the U.S. And it's growing. So you would expect that the number of viewers would continue to grow, especially if there was some sort of unification with these leagues. Um, we didn't get to the part that I, I love... Because in every purchase group, you always mm. have your celebrity LPs, right? You always LP standing for limited partner, folks who put in less cash, but bring something else, some other synergistic reason for their involvement. Sometimes it's just they love the sport. They love the team. Um, but uh, 
You want to do it? You want to you want to give the sizzle of, of this deal? That's not, by the way, not taking anything away from Al Tylus and, and, and Sam Porter, but the LPs will get some attention. Yeah, there are some names in here that have have bigger name recognition. Uh, Eva Longoria, Mexican American actress, uh, Mesut Ozil, the German soccer player, also part of this group, and then husband wife uh, tandem Kate Upton, model, and uh, Justin Verlander, Major League Baseball pitcher. Uh, all four of those, I'll call them all celebrities, athletes. Uh, they are all involved in this group as well. Yeah, and obviously, when you're looking for the in this world retweets and Instagram and come follow and join. That, that stuff certainly does matter. Uh, your guess as to how long until we hear there's more U.S. money? Because, by the way, let, let's talk about the big people who invest in soccer. Like we said at the start of our, of our story, we say that it's been going on for a while in Europe. And we're talking names like Stan Kroenke, John Henry, the Glazer family with Man United, the 49ers with Leeds, Shad Khan with Fulham. These folks are all looking to build global empires we know from the Redbird investment in the uh, Fenway Sports Group that the Liverpool Group is looking to expand, bring more things. Maybe another soccer team in Mexico might, might make sense. So by, by no means is this just going away. It'll be very interesting to see if these big-time investors who are already in soccer think about going to Mexico. So, uh, But you know what else we know? There are people willing to invest in the NBA. That's that was an okay transition. Not <laughs> okay, all that great. Yeah, that works. <laughs> you know, A-Rod was looking to buy a baseball team, maybe a soccer team in his future. But uh, take it away. We know A-Rod is now closer to achieving his goal of part ownership of a big four U.S. sports team. Sounds like there is an agreement in place for A-Rod and Mark Laurie, who is a Walmart executive, uh, to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves from Glenn Taylor. Price right around the $1.5 billion mark, Scott. Sportico's rankings from, from last year put the Timberwolves around 1.43. So kind of right in line there. Uh, as you mentioned, A-Rod not shy about his desire to get involved in, in the ownership side. He was semi-close. You would know better than almost anybody how close he was on the New York Mets before Steve Cohen made that deal. Um, but what do we expect here? The deal is not done um, and, and they need... Money, I would think, right, Scott? A-Rod made $400 million in his playing career total. Um, I don't know exactly the, the net worth of, of Mark Laurie, but I would imagine that there needs to be some capital as part of this group as well. Yeah, I wouldn't think that raising another three, $400 million, whatever they might need, would be all that difficult. But there had been talks going on with other groups very recently. Um, from what I know, the deal, Glenn Taylor, who, by the way, is worth about $3 billion himself, uh, he bought the team in, what, 1994 for about $90 million. So that's good ROI for, for Glenn. But he's almost 80 years old. You know, we, we've heard a few times now, Glenn has been toying with the idea of selling the team and then it didn't happen. So until this is completely signed and done, um, I'm, I wouldn't say I expect it to get done until it does. But one part of this deal that's interesting is that it seems Glenn has negotiated a, what's called a path to control that the turnover of control does not happen right away, that Mark and, and, and Alex would have about two years as investors and then assume operating control of the franchise. So maybe with that path to control, and he's got to like the number, I find it hard to believe that Glenn is, is unhappy with $1.5 billion, which sort of establishes a floor for NBA franchises. It's, this is, you know, in our valuations, they were among the lowest. So... 
Yeah, and, but until it happens, I am not going to believe that this deal is going to close until I see it's closed and, and that that deal is son, uh, signed and done. I want to go back and ask you specifically about that that path to control piece. Reading that, the first thing it made me think about was the original Mets deal, the one that fell apart between Steve Cohen and the, and the former owner of the Mets, which I believe was a five-year path to control. And everybody said... It just didn't seem realistic that that Steve Cohen would own the team for five years and then wait five years until he could actually make decisions about the team. I would say the same thing here. It just seems kind of strange that you would own an asset for multiple years, but but someone else is making decisions about, let's be honest, the long-term future of that. I mean, in, in those two years, Glenn Taylor could make personnel decisions, player decisions, draft picks that that the current owners don't want. It just seems like a very thorny and, for lack of a better word, bizarre way to do a transfer of power. Is that common or is that uncommon? Yeah, paths to control are are common. They do happen. There are guardrails up as to how much you need to consult the, the, the new owners, so to speak, as to how much say they have and what you can and cannot do. It could be an expenditure above a certain number or a certain investment in years and a player. Because if, if Glenn Taylor wants to go out and sign somebody for six years, Obviously, that would run into then the new, the new group's tenure. So perhaps that's it. Maybe he's limited to a two-year deal and then he doesn't have to consult. So it does happen. It could be estate planning concerns as well. That, that happens too, particularly somebody who is 80 years old or almost 80. So yeah, um, in, in the Mets deal, it almost seemed as if though he, Steve had to put up the five-plus billion dollars right away and still have to wait. Um, I, you know, we have to see how this is structured, how much has to be put up right now. Um, but you know, in, a, in a time where we're seeing lots of private equity investment in teams, um, like this is a guy in Glenn Taylor who, who is worth $3 billion. He doesn't have to sell. He bought long ago at a low number. This is not a distressed sale. This is just, again, the latest, in, uh, the, the latest iteration of Glenn Taylor saying he's ready to relinquish control. Maybe that path is enough for him to finally actually do it because he has toyed with this before. And we should mention also this sale also includes the Minnesota Lynx, the WNBA team. Uh, they're pretty much a dynasty from what I understand in, in WNBA. They've won a lot of titles in the past decade. Uh, and I believe they're one of probably a few WNBA teams that are, that are actually profitable from a ticket sales and all that standpoint. Um, so not a throwaway by any means part of the deal, but, but the Lynx also part of this transaction with the Timberwolves. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. You want to throw in any more Spanish there for Nakaxa? Anything? Anything final? No, I'm okay. I thought, I thought you were just going to say no. <laughs> no, gracias. That, that would have handled it. Me and me. Yeah, I am Scott Sashnik on the Twitter at Sashnik. You can also find the show at The Sportacast. See, that way I don't get yelled at by Cora Veltman, our social media guru. And The Sportacast is the hub, the center of what will be the Sportico Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.